In the deep darkness of the 1950s rural Midwest, a farmer walked out his front door. He wasn't exactly sure why he was roaming the grounds in the middle of the night. He just had a feeling. Something wasn't right. He aimlessly wandered looking for something he couldn't name. All was quiet at the chicken coop. The barn was locked tight. The pigs slept soundly in their pen. Everything seemed normal. But still, the farmer's apprehension grew. Suddenly, bright light shot up from the center of his field. He covered his eyes, but managed to catch a glimpse of a flashing flying saucer as it lifted off and he fell to the ground. When the farmer sat up, he wasn't outside. He was in bed, gasping for air. He hadn't seen a UFO. It was all a dream. He breathed a sigh of relief. The farmer rolled over and went back to sleep. In the morning, he might mention the nightmare to his wife, but he'd never think about reporting it to the authorities like the United States Air Force. The Air Force never collected data on nightmares, but it might have been worthwhile. Because even though he didn't see a UFO, he was still thinking about them. And that had his government extremely worried. Welcome to Unexplained Mysteries, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm your host, Molly. And I'm your host, Richard. In life, there's so much we don't know. But in this show, we don't take we don't know for an answer. Every Tuesday and Thursday, we investigate the greatest mysteries of history and life on Earth. You can find episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. This is our second episode in a special four-part series on the United States military's once-classified research on UFOs. Each episode will examine a different top-secret government project. Last time, we covered Project Sign, the United States Air Force's first investigation into UFO sightings. When the scientific team concluded that UFOs might come from outer space, the Air Force scrapped the project. This time, we'll dive into the USAF's next attempt at solving the UFO mystery, Project Grudge. We'll discuss what steps the Air Force took to squash the extraterrestrial theory. As flying saucer sightings continued to roll in, scientists had to rethink how they might endanger the American public. They realized that the greatest threat the UFOs posed might not be physical. It might be psychological. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad too, so let's get right to it. The new moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money maker. Play the game and you could win money, up to $2 million. 
With more than 88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. In February 1949, the first-ever military investigation into UFO sightings in America, Project Sign, disbanded. Senior military personnel disagreed with the project team's suggestion that the flying saucers might be coming from another planet. After reading Project Sign's report, they proposed an alternate theory. Throughout the 1940s, the Western world watched in horror as the USSR expanded into Eastern Europe, bringing communism with it. They didn't know how, but they suspected the vessels might be part of a continued plot for world domination. The problem being, they had no proof. So almost immediately after the Pentagon shuttered Project Sign, the Air Force assembled a new team of people to work on another classified UFO study Project Grudge. On the surface, Project Grudge and Project Sign had an almost identical mission, to gather and evaluate witness accounts of UFOs, but they weren't one and the same. When Project Grudge formed, officials added an addendum to Sign's mission, so the new team wouldn't repeat the mistakes of the past. According to scholar Kate Dorsch, the new study would, quote, control and distribute all objective information to interested governmental agencies and affiliated contractors. Dorsch believed military higher-ups emphasized that Project Grudge must be objective, likely because they thought Project Sign's conclusions were wild and speculative. But there was also a practical element to this mandate. The Pentagon likely wanted to avoid the appearance of withholding any information. From the onset, members of Project Grudge were aware of their predecessors' fate and reputation. Project Sign followed the evidence to what they considered a logical possibility, that some UFOs were extraterrestrial. It ultimately cost them their jobs. Naturally, the Project Grudge team conducted their research under the assumption that all unidentified flying objects must have both logical and earthly explanations. And in August 1949, just six months after its inception, Project Grudge published its first report. The dense 600-page document was labeled Final Report, suggesting they expected it to be the last word on UFOs. The assessment contained information on and reviews of hundreds of reported UFO sightings from all around the country. And Project Grudge attributed virtually all of them to one of four explanations. One, a commonplace aerial object, such as a bird, cloud, weather balloon, or domestic aircraft, that a witness mistook for a UFO. Two, a lie generated by an attention-seeking individual who wanted to perpetuate the UFO craze. 
Three, the delusions of a person with a mental illness. Or four, a misinterpretation of reality resulting from war hysteria and insecurity. Now, there were several reported UFO sightings that Project Grudge couldn't dismiss outright using their four explanations. However, they still asserted that there was nothing to worry about and the aircraft didn't carry any weapons of mass destruction. They suspected that no military strategist would allow their newest technology to be seen by the enemy without displaying its full force. And so far, none of the UFOs had taken aggressive action. But while Project Grudge ultimately concluded that flying saucers posed no threat to national security, they did find the number of UFO sightings they attributed to so-called war nerves troubling. World War II was still very fresh in the minds of Americans. It was the first war in history won in part from the air. The United States dropped the most powerful weapon of all time from a plane, the atom bomb. That kind of destructive technology represented a terrifying reality. As hostility between the United States and the Soviet Union grew, so did the fear of nuclear war. Paranoid, members of Project Grudge reasoned that the Soviets might have known about the anxiety sweeping America and were now using it to their benefit. Perhaps the flying saucers weren't meant to kill. Maybe they were only supposed to incite panic. Enough unidentified aircraft in American airspace could erode Americans' trust in their military. They could even result in a mass hysteria that would siphon time, energy, and resources from the government, leaving the country's defenses susceptible to attack. The use of psychological warfare was commonplace during World War II. It mostly took the form of propaganda, threatening flyers, news broadcasts, and carefully placed rumors. But it also used deception, fake battles, double agents, and visual illusions. UFOs could be the latest tactic. News of this theory traveled quickly. At the request of Project Grudge, the Pentagon alerted the Psychological Warfare Division. And the experts agreed. A foreign power, perhaps the Soviets, absolutely could have designed these UFOs to wreak havoc on the American psyche. And so, Project Grudge was told to continue their research and to continue delivering updates. Instead of putting UFOs to bed, Project Grudge's final report awakened an entirely new beast. Coming up, Project Grudge protects Americans from UFOs in their minds. Listeners, do I have a mystifying new show for you. It's called Superstitions, and it explores the varying beliefs people around the world fear and follow. It's so eerie, I know you'll love it. Every Wednesday, step inside stories that illustrate the horror, weirdness, and truth behind humanity's strangest codes of conduct. Why shouldn't you say Macbeth in a theater? What evil gets triggered when you walk under an open ladder? And how come certain films seem cursed and others don't? Each new episode of Superstitions presents a story that unlocks the mysteries of unorthodox traditions and surreal phenomena. They may seem cryptic or illogical or completely insane, 
But then again, do they? Follow the Spotify original from Parcast, Superstitions, free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, back to the story. Project Grudge's first report suggested that UFOs might be psychological weapons designed by the Soviet Union to sow panic in American hearts and minds. Returning to work, Project Grudge set out to address one of the weakest aspects of their research, the fact that it relied almost solely on eyewitness accounts. Ideally, USAF intelligence operations would gather incontrovertible proof, like recordings or photographs. But short on physical evidence, they set out to determine which eyewitness reports were the most credible. Using a person's family history, class, occupation, social standing, and every other metric available, they identified their ideal witness. A highly educated male with military experience and at least a basic understanding of aeronautics. Of course, they also considered the person's state of mind at the time of the sighting. For example, they dismissed anyone who might not have been sober or well-rested. The statements the team deemed the most credible went directly onto the desks of more senior analysts. This process of sifting through witness testimony was designed to distinguish Project Grudge from its predecessor. Project Sign had considered a wider range of eyewitness statements. Project Grudge, on the other hand, used its new strict protocol to make the case that its research was superior and more efficient. In fact, Project Grudge used their new witness evaluation system to undermine one of Project Sign's chief sightings. It was the very first incident listed in Grudge's report. In the previous episode, we covered how in 1947, several airmen spotted two silver circular objects floating above Muroc Air Force Base. This sighting triggered high-level military authorities to assemble Project Sign. At first glance, the report seems high caliber. There are multiple witnesses, all with military and aerospace backgrounds, who reported seeing the same thing. But when the team at Project Grudge dug deeper into the statements, they found some details they felt weakened the airmen's credibility. The first witness claimed that just before seeing the UFOs, He told a colleague, someone will have to show me one of those discs before I believe it. The comment came in such close proximity to the sighting that Project Grudge felt it was more than coincidental. Perhaps it led the man to believe he saw the discs. In addition, further investigation of Project Sign's methodology showed that the first witness might have influenced several other witnesses' perceptions and statements, which further tarnished the credibility of the case. As part of trying to bolster their data's dependability, Project Grudge also built what is known as a knowledge infrastructure. This referred to a network of scientists, military intelligence officers, outside consultants, and technologies that worked together to evaluate their data. Like Project Sign, Grudge involved many well-respected experts to strengthen their research by proxy. But of course, they considered their network of experts more qualified. 
By the end of 1949, less than six months after delivering their first report, Project Grudge generated another, more exhaustive document. They also called this one their final report. The authors vehemently defended their research protocols and emphasized that their methods were highly selective following the strictest scientific standards. The reason behind all this posturing was twofold. First, to make clear that they were superior to their predecessors. And second, to let the world know that their research protocols weren't developed to fit anyone's agenda. Specifically, the Pentagon's agenda. That UFOs can't be from outer space. But perhaps their fierce defense of their methods was a form of projection. While they claimed to reject the Pentagon's mandate to disregard evidence of UFOs, in truth, that's exactly what they were doing. The report completely ignored the possibility of interplanetary travel. In total, the document covered 228 different UFO sightings from so-called credible witnesses. The team debunked 198 as weather balloons, astronomical or meteorological phenomena, or common flying objects like birds or airplanes. According to the experts, the 30 remaining cases, the ones they couldn't debunk, were either outliers that lacked proper evidence, or cases where witnesses misremembered what they'd seen. And these false memories were likely caused by psychological or neurological deficiencies, not aliens. The report also left room for an earlier theory, that the UFOs could have Soviet origins. And while they didn't pose a physical threat to national security, they could pose a psychological one. They found no evidence to make this claim of foreign involvement, but they did make recommendations for additional actions. First, they advised that the military scale back on Project Grudge's size and resources. Moving forward, researchers should continue to limit their investigations to credible witnesses. But as counterintuitive as it may seem, they suggested that staffers should only circulate reports of UFO sightings that had clear explanations. To calm public fears, Project Grudge also advised that a few of their conclusions be declassified and broadcast to the public. Namely, those that stated nothing was wrong. They did not endorse telling U.S. citizens that they thought UFOs might be a part of a psychological warfare campaign. Military personnel approved Project Grudge's second report, and the proper authorities put all their recommendations into action. Shortly after Christmas 1949, the Department of Defense Office of Public Information issued a press release. In it, they notified the population that the military would terminate all UFO research. The statement claimed that the USAF had evaluated and dismissed all reported UFO sightings. Scientists determined each had a logical cause, like a hoax, a psychological disturbance, or a simple misinterpretation of a cloud or bird. Therefore, maintaining further UFO study was unnecessary. Of course, the press release wasn't entirely true. Project Grudge did continue, albeit with reduced staff processing less data. 
Until this point, the government hadn't been fully transparent with the public about UFOs. But they had never, to our knowledge, outright lied. This was a first. And it set a precedent. In regards to UFOs, it kicked off an era of obfuscation and half-truths coming out of the Pentagon and the United States Air Force. And many believe it's a legacy the American government continues to uphold to this day. The release seemed to have had the desired effect on the public. Fewer people submitted UFO sightings to the USAF. The media dedicated less time to their coverage of the mysterious flying saucers. As the UFO craze settled down, Project Grudge faded into the background, being absorbed into a larger pool of intelligence operations. It was no longer considered a priority. By the fall of 1951, the staff had been reduced to only a few personnel, with only one lieutenant responsible for investigating new sightings and reporting back to superiors in monthly briefings. But they believed more attention needed to be paid to their cause. In one status memo, the Project Grudge writer was frank about the difficulty of completing their mission without institutional support. The memo complained, regardless of personal beliefs as to the origin of the objects, the task of determining, if possible, what these objects are has been assigned and should be carried out. The small team was despondent. Project Grudge lacked the resources to evaluate incoming data properly. Worst of all, their current project supervisor, James Rogers, wasn't doing much to help. If anything, it seemed he was hurting their cause. According to Thomas Tulane's book, History of the United States Air Force UFO Programs, when a promising report came in from military professionals at a radar center at Fort Monmouth, New Jersey, Rogers mocked the testimonies. He essentially disregarded the statement before he even read it. Luckily, circumstances were about to change. A new supervisor, Lieutenant Jerry Cummings, joined the project shortly after the Fort Monmouth report arrived. Cummings made it clear that he disagreed with Rogers' dismissive attitude. And he wasn't shy about letting the Director of Intelligence, Major General Charles Cabell, know. Coming up, Lieutenant Cummings claims that Project Grudge had been mishandling evidence. Now, back to the story. From 1949 to early 1952, Project Grudge attempted to debunk UFO sightings. Publicly, they maintained that the aircraft didn't represent a national security threat. Internally, however, they theorized that a select few flying saucers could be tools of psychological warfare from a hostile nation like the Soviet Union. Project Grudge felt confident that the military shouldn't be concerned about UFOs occupying U.S. airspace. But they might need to worry about the aircraft occupying American mines. When Lieutenant Jerry Cummings took over leadership of Project Grudge towards the end of 1951, he felt frustrated with the team's lack of resources and disturbed by the attitude of his predecessor, James Rogers. Cummings believed that Rogers' careless leadership impeded Project Grudge's mission. 
It seems that the problems began the moment the team was assembled. A typical intelligence project, or any worthwhile investigation, usually has a clear mandate and the freedom to follow the evidence wherever it leads. But Project Grudge did not have that option. We've already discussed that Project Grudge operated under a presumption that UFOs could not be extraterrestrial. Now, there isn't documentation showing that military leaders gave Project Grudge specific instructions to avoid mentioning aliens, but many believe that the project's context and eventual outcome speak for themselves. But there's more than just circumstantial evidence backing up this idea. Air Force Captain Edward J. Ruppelt, who went on to lead Project Blue Book, bashed Project Grudge, saying, everything was being evaluated on the premise that UFOs couldn't exist. In other words, Grudge may have based their research on a foregone conclusion, not on evidence. Without the freedom to follow the data wherever it led, many believe their findings shouldn't be taken at face value. James Rogers, a man who scoffed at UFO sightings, probably didn't become the head of the project by accident. To be fair, Project Sign never presented any clear evidence that UFOs were from another planet. They hadn't conclusively decided anything. But that's sort of the point. To many modern UFO researchers or ufologists, Project Grudge's swift and absolute denial of UFOs seemed suspect. Without evidence one way or the other, it didn't make sense for the study to declare that flying saucers couldn't be from another planet. But it's important to remember that Project Grudge didn't generate an anti-UFO mandate. That came down from the Pentagon. And no one, not even some of the men conducting UFO research, knew exactly why. Which is precisely why ufologists believe that the government knew and still knows more than it's saying. In fact, some believe that the Pentagon might have initiated Project Grudge, not because they didn't believe in UFOs, but because they knew UFOs existed. But they didn't want the public to know. Project Grudge's questionable foundation isn't the only reason it generated so much public mistrust. The methodology used at Project Grudge also raised red flags. The Project Grudge team took great pains and pride in creating more stringent rules about what kind of UFO data they would consider. Their stated goal was to generate a more credible picture of American UFO sightings. There is logic behind that approach. They wanted to filter out false accounts that would only skew data. It also preserved resources and time, two things the military shouldn't waste. But some feel that Project Grudge took their witness filtration too far. Although their preference for a certain kind of observer is obvious when looking at the data itself, it's unclear how the team arrived at their ideal characteristics. For all the declassified memos, updates, and records related to Project Grudge, there wasn't one document that covered precisely how they determined which witnesses were most desirable. Without any clear evidence, we can only speculate on how Project Grudge selected the witnesses and cases they ultimately used as data. 
But arriving at such a narrow data pool without a clearly stated method or intention makes their selected evidence seem suspect. Certainly, we can rationalize that aerospace experts could relay more relevant details about a UFO sighting than non-experts. It makes sense that a sober individual's word is more reliable than that of an intoxicated person. But without any clear idea of Project Grudge's process, it's possible that they limited their research based on nothing more than gut instinct and stereotypes. Or worse, they tailored their data to fit their desired outcome. The rapid pace at which the team generated the reports also suggests an informal process, if not a careless one. Kate Dorsch, a historian who wrote her dissertation for the University of Pennsylvania on early military UFO investigations, noted that Project Grudge and Blue Book personnel were tasked with making snap judgments about the reliability of witnesses based on characteristics and descriptors attained via citing reporting forms. So Project Grudge decided to include data in their research without formal guidelines and with limited background information about witnesses. They did this quickly and on an individual-by-individual individual basis. There's already subjectivity and implicit biases involved in determining what constitutes a credible witness. When based on a knee-jerk reaction, Project Grudge was more likely to build a data pool based on prejudicial race, gender, and class profiling. If that's the case, Project Grudge's carefully selected data could be even less useful than Project Sign's wider net. There's no way to know if any critical leads were lost to the curation process. Dorsch wrote that Project Grudge's informal approach to witness elimination suggests they were discounting unexplained cases because of witness character rather than scientific analysis. This habit of disregarding testimony didn't just affect which statements made it into the research pool. It also changed how analysts evaluated the data afterward. In general, Project Grudge personnel defaulted to skepticism. This isn't a bad strategy, considering that the information comes from an inherently fallible source, the human memory. But it's worth noting again, for every single UFO case the team couldn't find a logical explanation for, they discredited the person behind the account. In evaluations, analysts wrote that they weren't trying to vilify their witnesses, but then, they would pick apart the person's statement and qualifications, highlighting every possible defect or mistake. The onus was always placed on the observer and never on the researcher's lack of knowledge. The explanation could never be that the spectator saw something that no one on Earth could explain, and this impacted the number of people willing to report UFOs. Air Force pilots heard how the researchers unceremoniously debunked so many of their colleagues' stories, so they stopped making statements. But their silence was a double-edged sword. They avoided the embarrassment of being labeled a crackpot, but they did so, possibly, at the expense of national security. Whether UFOs were from outer space or not, the military effectively short-circuited its own reconnaissance. 
and people like Lieutenant Jerry Cummings wanted to change that. But because analysts seemed more interested in discrediting witnesses than actually evaluating the data, Project Grudge potentially lost out on crucial testimonies. In late 1951 or early 1952, Cummings and a small entourage flew to Washington, D.C. He scheduled a meeting with the Director of Intelligence, Major General Charles Cabell. Cummings entered the impressive lobby of intelligence headquarters. A secretary led him through a labyrinth of stairwells, hallways, and bullpens, until finally he reached a conference room. The doors were shut. Cummings took a deep breath. The fate of UFO studies in the United States hung in the balance of the meeting that was about to unfold. If he found support on the other side of the door, Project Grudge could get the assistance it needed to function. Americans would get closer to actually understanding what was darting across the skies above them. But if Cummings met resistance, he could kiss his new position goodbye and the mystery of UFOs would drift off into the stratosphere, maybe never to be solved. Until it was too late. Thanks again for tuning in to Unexplained Mysteries. We will be back Thursday with a new episode on the relationship between UFOs and the United States Air Force. For more information on Project Grudge, amongst the many sources we used, we found Thomas Tulin's book, History of the United States Air Force UFO Programs, and Kate Dorsch's dissertation, Reliable Witnesses, Crackpot Science, UFO Investigations in Cold War America, 1947 to 1977, extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. And remember, never take we don't know for an answer. Unexplained Mysteries is a Spotify original from ParCast. It is executive produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Brendan Hawkins, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Unexplained Mysteries was written by Hannah McIntosh, with writing assistance by Molly Quinlan and Connor Sampson, fact-checking by Claire Cronin, and research by Brad Klein and Brian Petrus. Unexplained Mysteries stars Molly Brandenburg and Richard Rossner. Bad omens, good fortune, pure luck. Take a closer look at what you believe in and follow the Spotify original from Parcast, Superstitions. New episodes air weekly, every Wednesday. Listen free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.